This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Cool stuff. Welcome everyone. It's just great to have you here. You know, there's a, there's a game we like to play when we're young. It's called Hide and Seek. So when you're very young, when you're like two years old, you don't really know how the game works. So what you do is you're going to hide in the same place over and over. And then you call your parents and you say like, Come, find me, find me. And then you can go and check your child in that place every time at the same place. And it's an amazing moment when you see that child as if they've never hidden there before. And it's just like, wow, you know? And then when they grow a bit older, when they're seven or nine, then it's like fun, you know? They go and hide in the neighbor's yard. They go and hide in Taiwan somewhere. They're all over the place. It takes hours to find them sometimes. When they're teenagers, they're just gone. <laughs> they're just like. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes some people, when they uh, grow then older, is they stop seeking and they just hide. They hide behind veils, pretensions. Sometimes it's just withdraw. So then... For some sort of a reason, we stop seeking. Because, you know, each one of us in our lives, we've built in to play hide and seek, to seek, to find. And that's what we're speaking about tonight. Cool. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey. Never stop seeking. Sure, I was so out of breath, I had to like really think about that. Okay. We're going to talk about seeking God and being hungry for Him. You know, in October, lots of people get tired. They just think of December, and then they think like, oh, I'm going to just take off for three months and rest and do all that stuff. But sometimes we believe this lie that we will be fulfilled in what we do or just our holiday plans, or the next sporting event. But Matthew 6 verse 33 says, Seek first. Seek first. It doesn't say find first, it says seek first. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first. And Jesus said it over and over to His disciples in Luke chapter 11. He says, So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He repeated it, or Matthew writes about this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. So it's talking about three things. The first thing is asking, and that's talking about relationship. You ask a person. You don't ask a brick wall. You don't, asking means there's somebody on the other side that you ask. You ask God. You ask the people of God. <clears throat> and um, when you ask, it's like because you have a humility to say, I don't know. You, have a, a, you, you just say, I, I want to know. And uh, do you know it's okay with God if you ask questions? It's okay if God, with God if you don't understand things. But never stop asking. You know, there was a lady we did Encounter 3 yesterday, and she was saying like, Oh, Lord, she was feeling like she must actually take off her shoes, you know, while we're worshiping because she's standing on holy ground. So she was like, she was like, just say, Lord, should I do it? Should I not do it? And then the facilitator of the weekend came literally five minutes later and said, like, I believe God says we must all take off our shoes because we're standing on holy ground. And I think, like, what is the chance? But see, we forget to ask because sometimes we think we, can, we, shouldn't, we should just ask very spiritual old King James type of language stuff, you know? And then we should speak in another language. O Lord of thy henceforths, let thy be known in the earths, you know. Come thineth forth with thy rodders and showeth us thy mercy. You think like, but children ask. <laughs> and sometimes they rudely even ask, you know, just out of, out of place. Seek means that there's a faith, there's something that you need to find. Now, we have to get up. Our doctrine straight here because sometimes we sing, I found Jesus. No, 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 no. But Jesus wasn't lost. Would you agree? He came to find you and he came to find me. We were lost. So when you seek him, it means like there's a mystery. There's, there's something that's about to be revealed. There's something that you're looking for that you have not found. And the amazing thing is for all of your life, you will be seeking. You will be asking if you are a Christian. The problem is the moment when you think you've arrived, you're in trouble. The moment when you think like, oh, you know, I'm a small group leader. I'm a zone leader. Oh, I've been on missions first year and second year, but now I'm into predestination, you know. I've arrived, you know. This, that's what young people do. I call them the when we Christians, you know. When we did that 10 years ago, when we did that 15 years ago. But they never live in that space. Lower your right or you're offended. Oh, you're just going for a wee. Okay, that's all right. You're forgiven. Uh, he has been in the band till three o'clock. Okay, good, good time to go. But so, seek. There's a faith. There's a desire to know. There's a, there's a mystery. Um, God is not cheap. God is not, not going to just cast his pearls before swine. You need to go and find it. You're going to need to go and find the pearl of greatest price. And this is what Jesus says. Seek, ask. Knock, it means that there's some doors that are going to be closed that needs to open up. There's a persistent, urgent desire that produces a, a lifestyle of obedience because he's like, wow, you know. Um, <clears throat> when we stop being teachable, we're in trouble. When we lose our hunger for God, we're in trouble. And do you know what? You can lose it in a month's time. You can lose it in three months' time. You can, it's so easy. There was a time when I would preach on a Sunday year, or it was there for six to nine months, and I would never spent one minute with God or reading the Word. I just prepared for sermons. My heart was growing cold. 
and I was a pastor. Your title doesn't give you anything. If you lose that hunger or that thirst, you're in trouble. Because then what happens is you become isolated, you become dignified, you become like, I've arrived, you know? And that's what, you know, some of you need to get around to the children, you know? Yeah, the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds in the morning, it is the most fun place. Some of you just need to get up onto a jumping castle again and just lie there. And just think, why was this so great, you know? This was the moment of my life when I was five, you know? But we forget those things, you know? Why? Because we get distracted, we become complicated. And I'm not talking about like, hey, throw away all your responsibilities and stop studying and stop working. I'm not talking about that. It's all about the issue of our hearts. What's going on in your heart when you wake up in the morning? Do you have that desire and that, that ability? And I, I believe God wants to heal some of us and deliver us, some of us of the lies that firstly says God is boring. Firstly says, no, you've just, you know, you've arrived. I, I must be honest. I'm not, I don't like just the reading plans of reading a through the Bible in one year. Because you can read through the Bible all the time and still not get to know God if it's just a project. We read this Bible because we want to know the author of it. We don't want to know doctrine. We want to walk in relationship with the one who wrote it. This is Jesus in print, the Word made flesh. <laughs> but the moment when you're going to say, oh, this is my pet doctrine. This is my Doggy doctrine, catty doctrine, this is my different doctrines, you know? Then you think like, what? This is just because you want a relationship with the one who wrote it. And by the way, everything in here is inspired by God. There's not some parts you tear out and some parts and, oh, Genesis was a figment of my imagination and therefore, you know, science has grown on, you know? But we've become very proudful as a human race. You know, nobody can manufacture a cell, just a normal cell. Have you, have you realized that? It's too complicated. We can, we can try to change it. But still mankind, there's so much. There's even places on the earth that we have not been. There's places under the sea that we have not been. We have not even discovered this little earth that we live in, and yet we think and we stand up and say, welcome back, low. We stand up and say, there is no God. Isn't it amazing? We can't even reach to the other side of the universe, and we have the audacity as a human race to say there is no God. Sure. Ask, seek. But in Numbers 32 verse 11, this is what it says about a group of people that stopped seeking and asking. It says, none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I saw to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully. Or some translation says, wholeheartedly. If you want to have that hunger, you must be prepared to say, God, I want to fully surrender. I want everything. I don't just want 10%, 3%, 5%. Because God doesn't understand that, and he hasn't made provision for just a 3% or just a Sunday Christian. And so, I'm not talking about going to heaven or not to heaven, but God is not sentimental about his purposes and his kingdom. He will leave a whole generation in the desert and just take two people through, the Joshua and the Caleb's. He's not sentimental about his kingdom, sorry. 
We, we somehow think that God actually owes us something by using us or by allowing us to be part of his kingdom. It's the most massive privilege that we can serve him and be part. That's why I say like that donkey in Shrek, pick me, pick me, Lord. I want to be part of what you're doing, you know. But most people lose that because they think like, oh, God actually owes me, you know. I, I, I come to church. Oh, and small group. <laughs> I'm there on a Wednesday and a Sunday, and regularly I pray, you know. I, I'm a good person. And I'm not saying you're not going to go to heaven, but you're going to miss out because there's some people that are people that wholeheartedly surrender to God. And then you wonder, like, God, why do you favor certain people above others? Well, simply just because they've accessed God's fullness. They're just more hungry. The only thing that will hinder you from receiving more is not whether you're perfect or not. It's just your hunger, your thirst, your seeking, your surrender to Him. And tonight is an invitation to that, like the Joshua and the Caleb's. Because God says, I, I, I have to, you know, I, I have to leave this whole generation behind because, do you know what? They, they didn't seek me wholeheartedly. I, I want to. It's not that God hasn't got a desire, but He's inviting us to that place to say, hey, Will I, even when I'm in the wilderness, continue to worship Him? Will I, when I'm in the wilderness, continue to desire Him, you know? Now, remember, I think, Ben Jason, where are you? I think I saw you somewhere here. But we, we were hiking up the mountains there in Nepal, and we was just like, we're getting to this place where um, we have to go into the Hunky Moon Valley, and it's locked, and the, the, the government closed it down, so we get to the gate, and it just feels like everything is falling apart. We stand there at 10 o'clock in the evening, we have to start hiking, and we think like, no, because they just locked it. So we go in, go out, go in. The security people just say, sorry, you can't go in. And we need to get up into the mountains. So we're just saying like, Lord. So we're in the bus. We just pray. We say, God, we've come here all the way to see your kingdom come. You told us to come, and we're going to stand on your promises. Whether the government has shut down the valley or not, because of the monsoon rain, we just know you've said it. And 12 o'clock that night, we went in again. The security guard looked at us as if he didn't see us. <laughs> and he says like, oh, you can go in, but you can't go in with your, with your bus. So the moment when he said it, he said, okay, team, here we go. So now we've got our backpacks. 12 o'clock at night, we start hiking. <laughs> yeah. The crazy part is we come around the corner, because there are two of our guys that were quite sick. So we come around the corner, and there's a little truck standing of a guy we met the morning, early in the morning, he doesn't know the Lord. And he stopped there because he felt he must wait for us. Truck is full of bricks, all that stuff. We get the two sick guys and all our bags on. He goes on for 20 kilometers and we just walk in the middle of the night up into the mountains. See, God makes a way even where there seems to be no way. But see, the only thing that hinders us is our own surrender. And it's difficult, some of us, because we are control freaks. We love to control. You maybe came in here tonight and you think like, there's no words on the screen and this guy, Nigerian guy, is telling me, sing a new song. And I am an accountant. I do it like this. Or I'm an engineer. I do it like this. You know? <laughs> There's lots of engineers in this church, and I pick on them a lot. Where's all the engineers? Raise your hands, okay? We love you. Hallelujah. But in any case, okay? 
But the crazy part is, is we have all got our control issues. We love to control, but we also do that with God. We also do that, want to do that with the Holy Spirit. We want to tell God how He should do it. And when we feel a bit uncomfortable, then we just move to the other church. Because, do you know what? Those shofar people, they're just a bit wild, you know? We must calm down a little bit. There's one of, one of our guys, he's, he's actually, yeah, I, I hope I can tell the story, but I'm not going to mention names. He said he, they did pub ministry on Wednesday, and there was this one guy that um, said like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't want to be like the conservative people. I am a Christian, but I realize I'm too much in the pub. I'm, I'm here more, much more than what I am in church. So, but I'm, I don't want to be like the conservative guys, and I especially don't want to be like the shofar people. And I said, what a compliment. <laughs> a group of people that says, God, we want you. We want to please you. God is about to release, and he's busy doing that, release his power, the real God. But that sometimes would mean that we are going to be out of our comfort zones. I, I want to do a book promotion. It's not my book. But I think it's a prophetic book for the church in the West, The Insanity of Obedience. It's a book about the church in the Middle East. Go read it over the holidays. And then you see what the norm of Christianity today is. I'm paraphrasing the story, but this guy says, he comes to this pastor and he says, Pastor, why don't you write about all the miracles that's happening? The pastor is sort of nice with him. He goes to this window. He says, hey, look at the sun. I don't wake up my child to go and say, hey, the sun came up today again. Because it's the norm. Why do you want to write stories that is the norm of Christianity today? Just read your Bible. Everything that you see in there is happening with us. And then he realized, but unfortunately, the church in the West is so far removed from biblical Christianity. Because we're comfortable, we're consumers. This brings me to the third point. Daniel 3 says, and we can look at the life of Daniel because he didn't compromise. And he says this when his friends was going to be thrown and the guys are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. If that is the case, he says to the king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor Will we worship the gold image which you have set up? What a bold statement. <laughs> sure. Now, a lot of people are just bold because they are bold. They want to just be fanatical. I'm not talking about fanaticism because fanaticism without love is, is, is crazy. We see how people kill themselves for that. We're not talking about being fundamental for the sake of being fundamental. We're just talking about not compromising. And so Daniel, their names were changed, their eating habits was changed, the culture was changed. Everything was designed to change them as people. And yet Daniel said, we're not going to compromise. We're going to be a people that are going to do things God's way because we want the result of that gospel, which Jesus died for. See, if you, if you take away the principles of the gospel, you take away the power of the gospel. And we, we sometimes water down the gospel because it's just easier to make people feel welcome. We don't tell them repent anymore. We don't tell them confess your sins anymore because we're afraid they're going to get offended. 
And I've, I've been in churches with um, Angus in America, and I, you know, 20,000 people in the church, and there's never one word of repentance. Not even the name of Jesus was mentioned. And we sat there and we thought like, wow, Lord, everyone here is welcome except Jesus. Make sure Jesus is more welcome in your life than the people. Because they can't, they can't fulfill you. They will never fulfill you. Listen to what Paul says when he says, I, I've been found in him, Philippians chapter 3. You can go and read Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful, beautiful sort of a poem in Philippians chapter 2. He's writing the book of Philippians after uh, the church in Philippi sent Aphrodite to bring money to, to him while he's in prison. He's in prison. And then he writes this, what they call vignettes. They write these beautiful poems. But Philippians chapter 2, beautiful. It's the gospel. You know, how Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. He made himself of no reputation. And therefore God will exalt him. And have given him the name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of the Father. And then he goes on in chapter 3. And this is where we catch up. He says about himself, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ. Whoa. He says, I'm a good accountant. He wasn't accountant there. I'm just paraphrasing. He says, I've count everything loss. I've, I've come to the realization. I've met this Jesus on this road to Damascus. And I've realized, like, I can count everything as rush, as, as nothing. He actually uses that rubbish word. It's, it's actually a very strong word, you know? Like, cow done. Like, foo-foo. That's the word that he uses. Everything is rubbish. Everything this world can give me, it's, it's absolutely nothing. Why? Because I want to gain Christ. I'm seeking Christ. It doesn't say he has Christ already. He says, but I want to gain the fullness of Christ because I'm invited into this space. But he says, I've, I've, I want to, the things that were gained to me, I've, it's not like he's just throwing away everything. Remember, he is in prison. But he says, these have counted lost for Christ. And not just that, but everything for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Wow. He says there's a standard in Jesus. There's a fullness in Jesus. And he, and he says, those things just doesn't compare. And then verse 9, he goes on. And he says, be, and be found in him. You need to go and find yourself in him. Because you're lost without him. <laughs> Not just has he come to find you, but now, the, as the moment when you're born again, your whole life's mission is to say, I want to be found in him. <laughs> I want to count those things lost for the excellence. He later on says, I've, I've actually forget those things which lie behind. I stretch myself out to the utmost call of Christ. He's, there's a calling on your life, and he's calling you to come closer. But the world says, no, 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 just, just be balanced. Just, just, just don't be just don't be so passionate about Jesus. You just can't go there, you know. You're going to be one of those freaky swing from the chandeliers people, you know, that, that kneel in front. And, and, oh, there's always like, you know, those people with the flags. There's some people with flags that just dance, you know. And, and, and you know, and I'm not a flaggy person. I'm not a hula hoop type of person. But, hallelujah, if that's the freedom they find in Christ, let them go. It, it shakes all of my, you know, paradigms. But, hallelujah, you know. If that's how they find freedom. But he says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. You see, 
you and I need to know that in ourselves, in our own, what is righteousness is to have a right relationship with God. To stand before him as a son and a daughter. To have my true identity in him. But if I have my own righteousness, it's called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness happens through you trying, performing, uh, praying more, doing a lot of stuff. Out of the law, out of, you know. And we all know the story of the, two, of the prodigal sons. They are two sons. The one just wasted his life. He went into shame. The other one never went to come into the father's house because he was self-righteous. The one came to his senses and realized, like, hey, I need to return back to my father because it's better to be a servant in his house. The other one just said, like, no, 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 I just want the fatted calf so that I can care with my friends. And all of us have got sometimes a bit of shame and self-righteousness in our lives. We represent both of those sons. The bad stuff we did, but then also the good stuff we did. And both of those sons must submit, must come into the father's house, so to receive a ring and a robe and shoes. That was a great place to say amen. <clears throat> I'm just warming up. Okay, so now listen to this. His cry, he says, verse 10, that I might know him. Will you read this with me? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. Okay, you're not doing it's October. Okay. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Am I found in him, not having my own righteousness? I want you to go and take those couple of verses and, and read the heart of Paul. He's sitting in prison. He's chained in a Roman prison. He's got no, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. He actually starts, go read it, Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse 21. Maybe somebody can just check it. He says, for me to live is gain and to die is Christ. He says, it's, it's like, for me, it's actually, to die is actually better. <laughs> it's actually going to, you know, I'm just here because I want to fulfill the call of God on my life. But, but for me, it's actually, I'm, I'm, it's, just, it's just greater if I die. Because he didn't know how long he's going to live. So when he writes these words, it's not just mere words, you know. It's not just mere words that he puts on his iPad because he wanted to write a nice poem about Jesus and sing some lullabies. No, he's sitting on the verge of entering into eternity and he says, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is God. Thank you, Marche. Great. I just sense we need to read this together, these couple of verses. Are, are, are you here tonight? I'm, I'm just like getting excited because this is scripture. This is like, Wow. Okay, let's read it together, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, oh, just go back, oh, you're not going to read it. Okay, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That I might know him, intimately know him. So, some of us stop seeking and we just hide. But you cannot hide from God. He knows everything. You cannot hide your sin, your failures. Your sin. You can't hide from God. And yet he's inviting you because he's such a gentleman. He's such a, 
a loving kindness. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He loves you. He's never going to abuse you. He's never going to override your will. He's not, not, never going to bash down the door. He always comes and says, come, I want you to come closer. And some of us are standing outside the throne room of God, and we're hearing the things inside. We're hearing the testimonies of what other people are saying, and God says, I've made a way, a new and a living way. It's called by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 17 to 19, you must enter into it boldly. Because your thoughts are going to say no, you know. That's why here, the biggest battle for Christians is in their thought life. And you must take thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 5. Take it captive and say, no, I submit it to what Jesus says. I submit those fears, those anxieties, those confusions, that lust. I submit it because, no, it's not from me and it's not from the Lord. I take it captive. And then you begin to renew your mind. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. You say, I will renew my mind because that's the word of God, the scriptures. So, thank you for that enthusiasm. <laughs> the fourth thing that we do when we see God, and, and, and this is going to throw you a little bit. You can't seek God without God helping you to seek Him. James 4, verse 5 to 8. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Once you're born again, God has released a capacity inside of you that jealously will yearn. If you yearn, you long, you desire it with everything inside of you. And the Holy Spirit wants to bring that thing in your heart that you like a bride and a bridegroom. They were just waiting for each other, just preparing themselves for each other, just being ready because you yearn jealously inside. And God is a jealous God. Did you know that? And it's not a negative, jealous, suspicion like with the, you know, people in the world. No, no, it's not like that. It's not a competition thing because God, you coming to the Lord cannot add anything to Him. Your worship, my worship cannot change Him. But God is jealous about what you spend your passion and your desire on. God is jealous about your time because it's not your time if you say He's Lord of your life. You know, the church in the Middle East have two distinctions of people in the church. They call some people members and other people's Christ followers. And they say people that follow Christ, they yearn jealously for him and for the kingdom to come. Sure. The Holy Spirit wants to yearn jealously inside of you for God. The Spirit wants to help you to have a desire. So how, where do you start? Just become very honest and say, God, you know what? I don't want to read the Bible. I haven't read the Bible in a long time. Lord, I just like every time I open up the Bible, the spirit of duvet comes all over me. Yeah? I fall asleep and then I minister to my Bible. And deep calls unto deep, you know? And I can't even get past Leviticus, you know? Then the challenge is just start with one chapter. Start 15 minutes a day. And every time before you, you start, you say, Holy Spirit, help me to be more hungry for God. Because you create your hunger, but the Holy Spirit is going to help you. And the attitude, he says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
There's grace. There's an enablement to do it if you humble yourself. If you're prideful and try to do it in your own strength, then you're in trouble because then there's not grace. There's, there's, not, there's not this freedom. And that's why you can see some Christians just worship God. They just go ballistic for Jesus. They just love Him. And, and other Christians, it's like a frustration. You know, it's almost like, ah, there's always like a resistance. And most probably sometimes it's not the devil. It's God. Because of pride. We live in one of the most proudful towns in the world. It's so difficult for people to do this and humble themselves because we find our status by what we drive, where we live, what we've studied, where we've been on holiday. This is one of the most divided towns in the world. But there's a group of people and saying, God, we will humble ourselves. And there will be grace for a yearning in this town. I love it to be in this town. Why? Because I know when there's one group of people that begin to cry out to God and say, God, we want to do it your way. The Lord will do it. One people that will humble themselves. And that's why the worst stuff came out of this theology department called apartheid. The worst proudful divided things has come from this town. But you know what I think then? I think like, hallelujah, Lord. That means you have a plan. The devil overplayed his hand. You know, there's some, some people here that sometimes go and pray in places and probably make crosses too big. I don't know. <laughs> and, and then it's like in the media and people just write, oh, you know, it's intimidation. It's just... It's motivated by love, by the way, because we want people to be loved by God. We want people to experience God. So I just think like, Lord, if the devil gets angry, I, I just know it's more time to consecrate, not with oil and crosses on doors, other people's doors, but just walk around your building and say, Lord, be here. Lord, we're going to pray because we yearn jealously for you. Now, the world will say sometimes, oh, you're just fanatical, you know. You're just a bit over the top, you know. But it says, draw near to God. It says, verse 7, first, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say he's going to try to flee. He will flee from you. When you come with this attitude of humbling yourself before God, and you start to resist the devil then, because now there's grace to draw near to him, because you, your heart's compassion, your, your passion is for him, and to see his kingdom come, now what begins to happen when you then resist the devil? Oh, he runs a mile. <laughs> it, it doesn't say he walks slowly. No, he flees. <laughs> he runs. Because why? You've submitted to God. And then he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Who draws first? For the born again believer, who draws first? You and I. When we draw, then he draws near. He drew first through Jesus so that you can get born again. But now you decide your hunger. You decide your seeking. You decide your asking. Listen to what David says, Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 105, verse 4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence once a week. No. 
Seek it once a year. Christmas and Easter. I was trying to get the word, you know, past, past Easter, past future Easter. I don't know. But so, seek His presence continually. No, but, but, but you know, when I was first year, I really seek the face of the Lord. When I was second year, I was quite excited. When I was third year, I started to become responsible. I don't go on missions anymore. Don't pray anymore. And you can see. You can see over time how somebody's heart begins to harden because they've lost their first love. It happens in our marriages. It happens in our friendships. It happens. You know what's the first thing when a married couple comes for counseling? What's the first thing we ask them? We don't say, okay, who's right? Who's wrong? Who's won the last fight? Who's that? And you know they're in trouble. The first thing you ask them is, tell me your story. Tell me how God brought you together. Talk to me about that first year. And then they begin to tell you the story of how supernaturally God brought them together. How they got words, how people prophesied, how they fell in love with each other. That's where you start, start at the beginning. Start with the first love. And that's what David said. He said, seek the Lord and His strength. There's a lot of us that don't have strength and we think our holiday program is going to give us strength. No. It's when you seek the Lord. Listen to what he says in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Why? Because you can forget it. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Walking on that mission trip with Ben Jason, I think you were grade 11, eh? Is it grade 11? Yeah. Grade 11 up there and this big backpack and the donkeys walking up. So we climbed, I think, 3,000 meters in, in two days just up in the Himalayas. You know, if we, please never brag about these mountains here in Stellenbosch, okay? I know the free state people, you brag, you know, <laughs> because you have one hill somewhere. What signal hill or what? What's it? What's that hill called? I've been there once, and uh, every time when I go to Bloemfontein, people want to take me to that hill and just say, look at our mountain. I say, no, it's a hill. No, it's a mountain. You know, it's even like a nice thing, but, but that's just like a kopiki, okay? So let's just settle it once for all and speak the truth, Stefan. Okay, but so, and Karinka, all the free state people, yeah? Arneline. Okay, so all of you, you know, so... But so now I thought, like, I can discriminate against the free state people. So I come, and the pastor from Nepal, he stands here the other day, three, four years ago. And I said, look at our beautiful mountains. And he says, that's not the mountain, that's a hill. <laughs> then you go to Nepal, and you realize, like, oh, the Himalayas. <laughs> they mountains. But okay, so stop interrupting me. I'm telling another story. Okay, so here we're walking with this backpack up there. And it's all our food, everything in this backpack. And so I just want to get to the place of starting to moan a little bit, just a little bit, just a small bit, you know. Say, Lord, this is like, yeah. So I'm walking, and as I'm walking, so we're walking up there, the sweat is dripping from my nose, like, doof, doof. And it's just like, here, here we go, yeah. And I say, Lord, oh, it's tough. Now, the typical response would be like, oh, it's a privilege to sweat for Jesus. 
yeah? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly, I'll never forget it. He said, I measure every drop of sweat that you sweat for my kingdom. And you'll be rewarded eternally. He said, some people get their earthly rewards. I have a pastor friend who stepped out of the ministry and just because of offense years ago. And I couldn't believe why suddenly they started to become like property investment people. Suddenly just millions of rands came in. He became super rich within a couple of months and years. I was praying about it. I couldn't understand. And then came the crazy part. The Lord says to me, I'm paying out his eternal rewards on earth. Because I will be no man's debtor one day. That guy will not be able to say, Lord, I worked so hard for you. So I'm paying it out now for him. And the fear of God came on my life. And I realized, like, Lord, I don't want earthly rewards. I want eternal rewards. I want to I wanna live for you. And it doesn't matter how much suffering happens. It doesn't matter how much I need to give up. Doesn't matter how many of my weekends I need to sacrifice. I've seen Jesus. And this doesn't compare anything to what is coming. This is just going to pass away. Don't be rooted here, be rooted there. That's your home. But see, we get conned and we stop seeking, we stop asking. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Forget not all His benefits. The one who heals your diseases, who crowns you with loving kindness, is a crown on your head. And I decide in this life that I'm going to take that crown off and I'm going to crown Him and I'm going to throw my crown in front of His throne room and say, Lord, you are worthy of it all. You see, there's a bunch of believers rising up in the world. They're just saying, Lord, we're going to hide nothing from you anymore. But we're going to start seeking you. Because once you've tasted of his goodness, once you've tasted of who he is, once you've seen, once you've had an encounter with him, and maybe tonight you've never had an encounter, then just ask him. Begin to pray. Say, God, I realize I'm just religious with you. I haven't had an encounter. I hear about other people's testimony. You can ask him, but ask to know him, not to know the supernatural, okay? Seek him. Say, Lord, I want to see you. Be careful, but ask. You can ask. You can say, Lord, I want to walk on water. I ask it like regularly. Because I see it in Scripture. I'll send you the video one day. Amen? Because Peter walked on water, but the rest were in the boat, just in a safe space, because they didn't want to take the risk. We're a generation that don't want to take risks anymore. It's called faith. Trusting God on His Word. It's beginning to happen, you know. In Egypt, there's stadiums being filled of 10 to 14-year-olds that are crying out to God. Fasting for three days just on water, saying, Lord, bring world revival. Lord, bring revival in the Middle East. There's places in Indonesia where every Friday night, every Saturday night, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every morning at 4 a.m. when they wake up and they pray, God shakes the buildings. And they say, God, day and night, we want to seek you. I'm not talking about doing more. 
I'm not talking about striving more or competing or trying to be a better Christian than the other church around the corner. I'm talking about our heart's issue, something inside of you that we lose so easily. It's called our first love. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.